Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and owner of a waterproof Bluetooth speaker I now have in my shower so I could listen to podcasts. I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and femme top. And this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Let's get into your Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> I wanted to say, let's get into a femme top. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In the queer community, there's a lot of visibility of like, uh, one is butch and one is femme. Mm-hmm. And that the butch person must be the top. And I'm here for femme top visibility. I don't even know that I identify as femme other than that. I was going to say. <laughs> other than that, I have long hair. Uh, so that's a whole thing that we don't have time to unpack. Insert the gif of John Mulaney saying we don't have time to unpack all of that. Uh, but I have, I have recently been trying to spread the word that femmes can be tops too. And I think that that's important. And I think it's important to know you never have to be alone with your own thoughts if you have a Bluetooth waterproof speaker in your shower. (laughs) And so this is the thing with this show is I think this is a perfect example of of the variety of types of person you're getting when you listen to Just Between Us. Do you know what I mean? I don't even want to say odd couple. I don't want to say opposites. I just want to say that it is like vibes that could fit anybody. Anybody's vibe is welcome here. Yeah. Who wouldn't want? A Bluetooth speaker that's waterproof for your shower. Okay, I do a bad thing and I put my phone close inside to, the shower, like close to the shower, and I play but the what podcast. What is close? What like, is close? Like on the like on the toilet, close. But you can still hear it. Yeah, I put it up real high. Yeah, see, if I could have heard it, I I would do that, but it, it just wasn't working out for me. So what I does it look like? What does it look like? It's a little circle thing that has a suction cup at the bottom. <gasps> um, it's suction shower- to the wall. My shower has a bench, so I just put it on the bench. It suction cups to the wall, though, if you wanted to? Yeah, it can. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Wow. I didn't even know. And, such- and if somebody calls you while you're in the shower, <gasps> you can answer. <laughs> I didn't even know that such a thing existed. Pretty cool. Wow. Wow. That was my request for my birthday present <laughs> for wow. Jake. I was like, I would really, this would really enhance my lifestyle. Okay, so basically... Um, what we've learned today is that uh, you never have to be alone with your own thoughts ever, even in the shower, even a place where you would have shower thoughts. Forget yeah. it. Fuck that. What are you going to do? Invent something? No, you're just going to stew in your anxiety. Sometimes I do have to have a peaceful shower if I need to like prepare for something. Sure. Um, but prepare for what? Day. Well, prepare for what? Like I had to do a practice pitch the other day, so I didn't listen to my podcast ahead of time to sort of like get into the zone and sure. think about what I was going to say and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every day is different and we're all growing and changing. I feel different from like when I listen to podcasts that we recorded two weeks ago. I'm like, I don't even feel that way anymore. Is that bad? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I'm, like, 
been two weeks. I have a completely new outlook. Like, who was that person? That's <laughs> so bad. We have an excellent episode for you guys that Gabby won't agree with in two weeks. Um, <laughs> this week's guest is Hank Green. Uh, we're going to be talking to him all about the power of social media and how it influences our lives and our world. Mm-hmm. And later, we'll be discussing microaggressions. What are they? How can we stop doing them? But first, hit us! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous, Chicago. So Anonymous says, how can you be happy for someone when they're making a major life decision that you may not agree with? Oh boy! (laughs) Here's a little more info. I'm 22 and my best friend from high school just got engaged. She's always been pretty religious. And when we were younger, all of our friends would joke that she would be the first of us to get married. But now that it's happening, I'm freaking out. I know her boyfriend is a great person and has been an awesome support system for her throughout a really tough year, but they haven't been together very long. And imagining her as a wife just seems insane to me. Oh, no. We went to different colleges. And while she has since moved back to our hometown, I'm still away. So we don't see each other as much. It makes it even harder to understand the speed of it. I want to be excited and express that to her, but I just can't wrap my head around it all. Please help me work through this and be a good friend. The first thing I'm going to say is that, and this may be controversial, you're allowed to lie to your friends. <gasps> okay. Uh, I lie to people constantly. Um, <laughs> say more about it. Like, you don't have to actually support her decision to yeah. act as if you support her decision. Okay. And sometimes that's what being a good friend looks like. Okay. So basically, like, it's it's none of your business and you have to, like, you, you have to just, like, being a good friend is just being happy for this person and not inserting yourself? It depends on the situation. So if she was in an abusive relationship, I wouldn't give that advice. Right. Um, and if she was, like, putting herself in danger in some other way. Mm-hmm. But part of life is making choices, like we've talked about, and some of those choices are gonna be mistakes Mm -hmm. and then some aren't and you just it's impossible for you to know but what if later they get divorced and then she says oh my god isn't this crazy nobody warned me it came out of nowhere how think about how many people in the world are divorced and are okay oh yeah my mom's a divorce attorney tons of people that's what i'm saying like it's not the end of the world if she gets divorced that's true like very few things are like are astronomical and unable to recover from Mm -hmm. so that's sort of my new outlook on people making decisions i don't necessarily agree with is it'll settle Mm -hmm. it'll settle one way or the other and the best thing that you can do is during that journey just being there and being supportive let me point out two things that suck out to me please pretty religious yeah 22 yeah also had an Okay, also has had a really tough year. They haven't been together for very long, and they're getting married. Mm-hmm. To me, this seems like some duress. Like, it seems like the type of thing where, like, someone, like, you're, like, dating someone, someone in your family dies, and then you're like, this is my person, I must marry them right now. Do you know what I'm talking about? I absolutely agree with you. And I'm not saying, wow, this girl's making great decisions from a stable point of view. (laughs) Right, right, right. I'm just saying that when you then you follow through what that looks like. So we know that the guy is a good guy. Mm -hmm. So there's hopefully it might not be a long term marriage, but at least hopefully it won't be toxic. Right. And so let's say, okay, so they get married. uh, It doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. And then they get divorced. 
That's, okay. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or they get married, they have a kid, they get divorced. Now they have a kid that they love and they hopefully support. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think a lot of times we like blow out. There's still so much stigma around failure and around divorce and around, you know, making mistakes mm-hmm. when in reality, that's just such a part of life. You just got to make mistakes. Yeah. And like for you to for you to vocalize these fears, I don't. Yeah, I, I doubt we'll have any I don't impact on her decision making. I think it's a little different if you're a parent. Yeah. But if you're just her peer and her friend and you don't even see her in her day to day life very much, like I think the only effect that will have is, is hurting your friendship. I agree you shouldn't you shouldn't bring it up or say anything. Um, I also think like part of life is making mistakes and also you can't control what someone else is going to do. So like ideally, okay, take it further. Ideally, what do you do? You control every single aspect like a chess piece of what this girl does with her life and then what? Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're not, it's not your responsibility. And also there's no way in which you'll like be able to stop her from making any, any and all mistakes for the rest of her, your lives until you both die, you know? And also it's so hard to say what is right for another person. Mm-hmm. So getting married at 22 to you is not right, but like mm-hmm. you truly do not know if this is the right or wrong decision for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And based on the fact that she is religious it feels in tune with her values and the type of life and lifestyle that she most likely wants. Mm-hmm. So how the fuck do you know? That's been a huge journey I've had to be on because I've always assumed that I know what's best for everybody. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I do not. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'm becoming a therapist so I can then tell people how to live their exactly. lives. Exactly. No, just kidding. You're like, you know what? At least I could get paid for this. <laughs> well, the big thing that I'm learning in school is that the client is the expert in their own life. Yes, you can't. You're not supposed to be like, here's what you got to do. But also, like, you don't know their life. You know, like, you have to defer to them as the expert on that. And mm-hmm. I would recommend that as how you treat all of your friendships and relationships as well. You're not the expert of her life. Yes, that is true. I also think, I mean, I guess it is interesting that this isn't out of nowhere. That everyone thought she mm-hmm. would love to be married. It's not like your friend who's like, I'm never going to get married. I hate marriage. Right. And then they're like, dad dies. And they're like, I need to marry this schmo that I'm dating right now. But if you even build it out past this one specific example in terms yes. of like, how do you support friends who are making decisions you don't agree with? Mm-hmm. Again, it's like, first we look at safety. Yeah. So if there is a safety issue in the decision making... I think then you have to intervene. Yeah. And who knows what that intervention will look like and if it will be effective or not. But I think that there is a responsibility there. Mm -hmm. But if there's not a safety component to it, you got to just kind of let people live their lives. Yeah. I mean, what about if someone keeps making the same mistake over and over again and they're your friend and they're like, oh, why do I keep getting married and divorced? (laughs) Then I think you say, you know, I think that maybe that's something you should really work through with a professional. Mm. here's a list of some great therapists in your area. (laughs) You don't say, I told you so, bitch. (laughs) You don't say, you don't say, uh, yeah, you don't fucking listen to me. Well, you can say, you know, you can say, you know, that's really interesting. I think that there is a pattern there and maybe it's worth exploring why this keeps happening. Smart. Smart. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also, it's also not appropriate to, to be a therapist to your friends. Huge. Huge. Get a therapist. Or, you know, like, or, yes. Or get, like, at least 
diversify who you talk to. Because sometimes yeah. you have friends who are who like come to you for every single thing. And like as like I just had a friend who was upset and I I was busy. Uh, and I got to my phone a little bit late and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And she was like, that's fine. I was on the phone with this other friend talking about it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. right, she could take care of herself. Like she's got other friends. Like, uh, you know, like I think like you're not going to, or you're not going to rely on the same person for emotional support every single time. And you also don't want it to just be like, well, I'll just wait to hear what Gabby tells me. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like you have to be independent and in control of your own decisions. Yes. I also think that it could be really beneficial to you to not talk about how stupid you think this decision is anymore with other people. Don't tell anyone else. Or like, you know, because it's just going to make you ruminate in it. It's going to really make you that much harder to be supportive of her. Zip it. Like, I think just like accept that this is what's happening and then hope that it works out great for her. And other people will like tell her too. like they'll be like, oh, my God, Gabby has been talking shit, you know? Yeah, but even if like that's not your concern, I just think that like you will be happier if you can be genuinely happy for your friend. So at first we start with lying. Sure. And then and then over time, hopefully, maybe your feelings will change and maybe you will see that this is a great marriage. And at the very least, go to a wedding, get drunk, Woo! fuck a waiter, live your dreams. If you don't <laughs> fuck a waiter at her wedding, though, it was a big mistake. <laughs> I, yes, exactly. Or I guess I guess like, you know, fuck someone at the wedding. You know what I mean? Hopefully that was helpful. Uh, if you want to submit your international question so we can tell you to lie to everyone you care about, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Hank Green. So stick around. Just between us. Hey. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Top questions. This week on the show, we have just all around Jack of all trades. Uh, but, well, I guess that's bad because it's like Jack of all trades, master of none. But master of stuff, uh, Hank Green, who uh, has a second book coming out. And I want to say that I helped on the first one as a consult. Oh, and the fun. second one. And the second one. So just a, just a little about me. <laughs> yeah, you never do that on this podcast. You never make it about you. <laughs> I love to say how the guest relates to me personally. That's yeah. important. And it's really yeah. hard not to. Um, so, yeah. So can you talk about your two, your two books first? Yes. Hello. I'm Internet Dilettante Hank Green. And I am Master of Little. Uh, but yeah, uh, writing the, writing books has been really, uh, an interesting and very hard thing, but I like it. And I know that you guys know about that as well. What are they called? What are the first two? What are the two? The books are called an, uh, an absolutely remarkable thing and a beautifully foolish endeavor. Those are the two books. And the, the first one was really like, I kind of realized that I had a, 
like a lot of shit to work through with regard to being a public figure and what internet fame is and how my friends have interfaced with it, how I've interfaced with it. And I was like, I don't really know how to talk about that. And then I was like, but what if I did it through kind of a science fiction-y lens? And so that's like an absolutely remarkable thing. And then Beautifully Foolish Endeavor is more like, I've got a lot of stuff to work out about, like how I imagine what internet platforms are, how they are very powerful. And I'm starting to be a little terrified by them. And I can sort of work that out through the lens of science fiction, which um, has been, you know, and like it's like near future sci-fi. It's very similar to our world, uh, just with a couple of little twists thrown in. And uh, it's... It's like, uh, you know, flawed but good people working their way through these systems and also trying to prevent the world from ending, basically. As someone whose career has launched off of social media, mm-hmm. as of ours, you know, what are those feelings you have towards it? Because it's obviously caused such positive, you know, results in our life, but it's also causing so much harm to so many people. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of like individuals, um, you know, and w- like when it comes to people who are like finding this as their job, I just think that it's so new that we need to have opportunities to talk about it and think about it because the analogs to traditional fame are some, but not all. And it's much more fractured now. Many more people have access to some amount of it. It can be very addictive. It can, but like it can come without any access to money. And so like you have a large audience or maybe you're getting a lot of sort of feedback and it's positive feedback, but you're not able to pay the bills with it. And so, you know, you're doing Postmates and people are like, aren't you? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, but why are you doing Postmates? And it's like, well, to get paid, which I think Gabby (laughs) once wrote a whole article about. So, and also it happens to young people often. You know, TikTok is full of these like 16 year olds who suddenly have access to a lot of power and fame. And like, that can be really addictive, but I think it can also be really destructive to a person. Yeah, because I think like it's this idea of people going viral for like one video or one thing and then, mm-hmm. you know, having to sort of go from not having any audience and, and you kind of it's hard to predict like what is going to be the thing that goes viral yeah. for you. Yes. So, like I'm sure like like Brittany Broski, who does who does was kombucha girl, like I'm sure she wasn't like this is going to be my thing. This is or the whatever. one. So, yeah, so it's, like, hard to be, like, I feel like there's something awesome and also terrifying about, like, mm-hmm. the lack of control of what what is going to take off. Yeah. Yeah. A- and also, like, how people are going to interpret it and, you know, the way that we act when we don't have an audience is and also should be different than the way that we, we act when we do have audience. And so, you know, that, that, can, that can lead to a lot of tension if people don't want to change or if people do change, but then people like find older stuff that they made before they had an audience and weren't taking things as seriously. Um, you know, and, and there's also like, I think in, in sort of people's own minds, it can be really easy. And this is true in traditional entertainment as well to sort of like put all other parts of your life on hold, kind of ignore your like real friends and only sort of like be doing things that help your career because there's just so much positive feedback when you're making content on the internet. So that's a lot of what the first book is about. And, and, and also that fame really is kind of necessarily a a process of like simplification of a person and like kind of removing some of their personhood. And I think famous, like to some extent, when we want to be famous, we we're asking for that. We're asked to be, we're asking to be simplified so that um, people are kind of shocked when we have, uh, more more depth and and like 
it's it is the process of like creating a brand and i think that there is you know there, there's necessity there but there's also kind of like stuff we have to be really careful about there especially right now with all of this civil unrest that's going on in our country mm-hmm. do you feel like if you have any level of influence it is your responsibility to speak to what's going on i try not to imagine what's right for other people mm-hmm. um and uh, I, I certainly feel that way about myself. I feel obviously that I have a responsibility. Um, and and like inside, yeah, I think that. I think that all the time. And I'm like, why isn't that person doing more? Um, but I also am not living inside of their lives and I don't know what they're doing, uh, like like how they're exercising their power in private. And so, yeah, I try, I try not to, to, to put that on other people who are not me. And in part, because I think that it's important that we have different kinds of voices speaking different kinds of messages. And, uh, and, and so like some, because like all kinds of people need to hear this message and what one person, one person's kind of message might feel like a slammed door and another person's message might feel like an open door. And, but like to individuals, that's going to look very different from person to person. You know, we, we we can't all speak in the exact same way. We can't all come from the exact same place because, like that, you know, there has to be a variety of strategies, or else we're not going to reach the broadest number of people. Have you experienced? Um, so obviously, like in the first book, the protagonist is dealing with like you talked about being simplified and like being mm-hmm. used as a symbol for something and being mm-hmm. used as like you know almost like a, a talisman for a political thing mm-hmm. or like a you know moral thing or whatever um have i feel like i've experienced that have you experienced that where you kind of become like a, a token of something rather than not as much as you have um <laughs> i <laughs> that didn't that wasn't meant to be accusatory no no i no I've, i was like he's yeah. right <laughs> yeah i've i've watched that happen to a to a number of people um but i think there's a you know there's a spectrum of that and I've been sort of the flashpoint in some controversies or like the focal, focus point of some controversies. But more than that, I think that we are, we are all to some extent a little bit asked to be, um, you know, a little bit activated. You know, like we are, we are on the Internet to have fun and to like make jokes and to connect with each other, but also to make social change. And there's a there's a a point to which that is good and there's a point over which that worries me where i like if we all just sort of constantly feel weaponized by social media to be always not so much like working for a better future but like fighting against the people we disagree with and and like that fight is the thing rather than the than the goal of the progress mm-hmm. then i I do get I get worried about that because it it feel it feels like that sometimes to me where it's about the fight and it's about like attacking and it's about strategy and you know the people who do this for a living those those pundity people are so good at it the professional arguers that I just really don't want to be a professional arguer you know and the only way to f- defeat a professional arguer is by becoming one and but that's like that's also a, a loss you know that's that's also an L when you're like, okay, you have by your shitty bad faith tactics, you have converted me into a bad faith, shitty tactic person. And like my job is to like write books and teach chemistry um, <laughs> and not to like uh, fight 
every day in the most effective way on the internet. And so we all have to find the balance of that. But do you worry about like certain things being off brand, let's say? Uh, not really. Uh, I'm lucky that I don't, ha I, I haven't sort of set myself up to need to worry about that. Because if I was just a science guy, which, you know, I could, I could be, um, I could have sort of made that decision. Well, you would have to kill Bill Nye first, and that's a whole thing. But well, I think that we, you, there could be more than one science guy. Um, but it's what a, I what, what I would have to it's do, I, I would have to have my hair go more vertically. Mm -hmm. I feel like as soon as I do this, I'm like, oh shit, I'm a science guy. Mm -hmm. um, and but but like John and I started our path on the social internet by having a channel that was about us and who we were as individuals, and. So sometimes I make videos about like really important things that I care a lot about. And sometimes I make videos about Portuguese man of war. And sometimes I make videos about, um, you know, hump and stuff. So I get, I kind of like get to do whatever I'm into on that channel. And that's like sort of the base of my like internet experience and, and sort of the base of how people know who I am and understand me. Most people of course don't even know about Vlogbrothers. They, they mostly know me through Crash Course, but um, but because of that, uh, I have this very comfortable sort of thing that I, f I feel like I fit inside of that isn't limited to just trying to be an educator. There are times, though, when I kind of wish I was just an educator, when I wish I could, like, keep myself inside of that box and be like, this is what I'm going to do. It, the most important thing, like, everybody's, like, going to do a lot of different things. And, like, the thing I'm going to focus on is education because I think it, like, I do think it's, like, one of the most valuable and vital things in society. Mm -hmm. But I, I kind of, I just can't because, um, because of how I imagine myself and how I imagine the internet. Do you have any advice for these people, you know, especially during this pandemic who are at home and making TikToks and maybe getting, you know, attention from strangers for the first time, like mm -hmm. how, how to process that and how to not let it affect you or change you in a negative way? I think that it, it's really easy to not be mindful of it. And to just like sort of, and like, I, I also struggle with this, um, to sort of not know, have any idea why you're doing it. And just to be like, this was good. That's good. Um, and so I think that you have to understand and try and try and understand, although I think that our minds are black boxes to ourselves sometimes, try and understand what's motivating you to do it. Why, like, what is the fuel that's pushing you to be creative and make this cool stuff? And are you proud of that fuel? And like, or like, are there different parts of it that you sort of are more proud of than others? And, and that you could sort of focus on the creative aspect or the connection that you're finding with other people rather than the numbers going up and the feeling like you're doing better than your peers, which is, I think, can be a little destructive. And then the other is like, what are you going to get out of it long-term? Because there's this really like clear arc of most creators that like in the beginning, getting the watching the numbers go up is enough and then after a while like you need some maybe connections with other people that like they respect you and so you're feeling like that respect from other folks and that's pushing you forward and then after a while you're like well also i i need to get paid for this and so like numbers aren't enough anymore and like you need money and then like if you can continue up the path which is like at every level of this you know there's sort of a number of people who don't make it to the next step eventually like 
you're like, just in the same way that at one point you kind of had enough numbers, there's a point at which you kind of have enough income. And then you have to start thinking about like, okay, am I setting myself up for the future? How am I imagining like what this is going to look like in five to 10 years? And I like, I think that, so like, that's another thing that you need to be mindful of is like, what's the, like, what's the next step? And like, when one fuel runs out, what is the next fuel that might take over? And, and also what does your life look like if this ends? And, Mm -hmm. and do you have, you know, relationships that you can depend on? And also do you have, um, you know, some kind of skill, like, are you developing a skill set that might be valuable um, in other work? And I think that largely you are. I'm not like, I'm not saying like, I I honestly think that TikTokers right now, like if you're good at that platform, there's probably going to be plenty of jobs for you in five years Mm -hmm. because- Like what? Filmmaking, editing? Yeah. Like making TikToks for brands, Mm -hmm. you know? Like I think like the Penguin Teen, so like my, my publisher, my book isn't YA, but like I interface with the YA people and Penguin Teen has a great TikTok account and it's just run by a, like a single human and she's just sort of the manifestation of that brand of of like a book loving teenager and Mm -hmm. she's great at it don't you think it will be difficult for some people to shift from i'm the focus of the attention to Mm -hmm. then making content for other people oh yeah yeah especially if that if like your main source of fuel right now is getting attention on yourself which is like the early on that's the that's the main fuel i but i watched a lot of youtubers make that transition where they you know like william hyde went from being the will of dc to like doing marketing at ubisoft and like that was a fine transition for him and i think that that like as as long as we recognize that um ultimately there are other ways to provide value to society than to be famous. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, and I, I like, disagree. And I think, Hard disagree. <laughs> no, and I like I. I think that when you're in that position, it can really feel like that, especially when you start to see things like not trend up. That can be really scary to because it's basically like a it's a commentary on you as a person mm-hmm. because I am the per, I am the thing that you are looking at, and when the commentary is we are less interested in you today than we were yesterday. That feels bad, man. But if you think that being famous, like and that, like you, like the adoration of the masses, is the, is the way to feel valued. Um, look at, like, what does that make you feel about the ninety nine point nine percent of Americans or people on in the world who will never have that? Mm-hmm. Like, if you think that they're still valuable, then you should think that you're mm-hmm. still valuable. I want to talk about the the fear element of social media that is in the books um, because mm-hmm. I am because I've gone like full conspiracy theory like radical whatever um, in the last <laughs> like few years and like I okay so like the stuff where in the book I think you kind of paint a lot of pi- a picture of this kind of like what you should be suspicious of or what you should be scared of and there's like twists and turns where like things you thought were good are not good and like. You know, I see people like doing face app and I'm like, they're stealing your data or like (laughs) I saw. Okay, this is how crazy I've become. And maybe I'm right. But, you know, when it was like that thing of like post a picture of you now and then post a picture of uh, a baby, like a meme on Twitter, post a picture of a baby picture of you that has the same energy and everyone was doing it. I was trying Mm -hmm. to figure out where it originated because I was like, they're collecting photos 
of you as a, they're, they're trying to get like age progressed photos of you so they can I like my that's how my brain works now. Mm-hmm. So like, can you talk about like why you included stuff like that and and what where you do you also have that fear? Yeah, I I don't have that particular one, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a ton of fear around social media and and you know there's there's what Facebook says they can do and there's what they can do and mm-hmm. I think that Facebook. Their, their pitch to advertisers is we can like, we can find the person who needs a refrigerator right now. And like, and, and, but, and like beyond that, it's like, we can, we know like how they're feeling. We, we can like serve them an ad when they're in a positive mood or when they're in a negative mood. Would you like to target people who kind of feel bad about themselves right now? Or would you like to target people who are feeling a bit of joy? We can provide you with both kinds of folk. And it's like, that's scary. Can Facebook actually do that? Maybe, maybe not quite, but probably in the future. And, you know, there's also been like this sort of like conversation about like, well, well, if Facebook sort of knows when somebody is very sad, like it like knows when they're struggling with chronic depression, is there an obligation for, for like them to intervene in some way? And if, Facebook can intervene in some way, like can Facebook do things that like help people out of that? And if so, can Facebook do things that sort of societally changes the mood by tweaking algorithms? And like, that's the, that's the thing that's like, right now, no. 20 years from now, huh, like, yeah, maybe. And with the amount of data that Facebook has on people the amount of data that TikTok has on me. The like, I don't, Facebook doesn't have a ton of data on me because I don't interface with it much, but like YouTube and TikTok and Twitter know a ton about me or could if they wanted to sort of run the algorithms. And it, and also they affect me. You know, we, we've, are in the middle of a really big conversation about how YouTube radicalizes people, how the algorithms select for more extreme content where rage comes from, where division comes from. And like that, you know, that's something that I tried to talk sort of more abstractly about in the books, but but basically like how much power in the future and also now ends up in the hands of these very few people. And I get to talk to like CEOs at these companies and they seem like good people. But what I ask them over and over again is like, I, like, do you, does it, what if you weren't in charge? Like, would you still feel good about this? Because in 50 years, you won't be. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens in 50 years when everybody who believes in, like, the greatness uh, and the opportunity of the internet is, like, retired or dead? Mm-hmm. And, and like, Facebook now is where Exxon is, where Exxon's just trying to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And they'll basically do anything. And, uh, like, how, how much, ex- like, when they turn into an extractive industry and their whole job is to, like, get the last, the last years of value before they go extinct, mm-hmm. what will they do and how much damage will that cause? Yeah, it's the Jurassic Park of you, you were so worried about what you could do, you didn't, you didn't think about whether you should do it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, it's very exciting. Um I'm, I'm sure, especially for them in that position to have all this new power. I've seen a li- like those little glints in their eyes when they, when they talk about things that to me, when they say them, I'm like, what you're talking about isn't running a company, it's running a country. Mm-hmm. And Can that's you give a- an example of, of what you mean by that? 
Like, um, yeah, I, w- I was interviewing Susan Wojcicki from YouTube and she was talking about their intelligence team. And I was like, your intelligence team? And she was like, yeah, we ha-. So, so basically like their CIA, like their people internally at the company who follow how misinformation is spreading and try to understand it and and try to understand how their algorithms are interacting with it and trying like for fi- like she was talking about 5G conspiracy theories and like they should be doing this work like these 5G conspiracy theories are sup- are dangerous this like anti-mask conspiracy stuff is dangerous anti-vaccine conspiracy stuff is dangerous and so they need to understand functionally how it works and so I'm not saying that they shouldn't be doing that work but like when she said it I could see this like like excitement this like kind of giddiness around it and I'm like th- like that's that's really wild that like you know you're not really running a company this is where we live Mm -hmm. you're and like you know when people talk about like freedom of speech on these platforms like there is no freedom of speech because they're private companies and that the first amendment doesn't extend to private companies but there should be some analog to to the rights that we have in our countries extending onto these platforms because we don't own our YouTube channels, you know? That can be taken away from us at any point. We own the content on the YouTube channels. It's basically like having like our stuff in a rented apartment. We can get evicted at any time. Do you think that there needs to be a lot more government interference and regulation with these companies? Uh, I was, I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but they were basically saying that like, um, this was a, was a great analogy, um, that, that, uh, Online platforms aren't public squares. They are bars that we have been invited to. And the people who are tasked with regulating the bars haven't been into a bar since 1976. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But I. But that's I, not really an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So the answer is, is yes, but I don't think that we have the right people to do it. And, and also, I think that, like, regulation doesn't have to be from the government. It can also be internal. It can be from the employees putting pressure, which we've seen. It can be from Mm -hmm. advertising putting pressure, which we've seen. It can be from creators putting pressure, which we've seen. And and also users um, putting pressure on the platforms. Like Reddit is a great example of like users basically like ousted a CEO of that company. Like they, Mm -hmm. the, the, it was, that was wild. Can you explain Um, what happened there? I don't really know well. And it seemed like it was a, it was a very sort of hot and fraught time. And she was female and almost all Reddit users are male. So it sort of like smelled a little bit of um, misogyny. Misogyny, Um, And, uh, but there was like, there were also lots of probably legitimate complaints, but yeah, I wasn't that deep into it. Um, So. So you have to unionize as a user of a social media platform. And we see it, right? Like yeah. we see people putting that pressure. Like cr- YouTube creators have been doing it for almost a decade now, putting pressure on YouTube. Yeah, but they but has it really been effective? Right? They don't. They it's don't... been effective at certain things, yeah, right? But yeah, like well, I mean, honestly, it, the the original the original uh, win of that was fifty five percent. You know, we get fifty five percent of the money that we make. We didn't use like YouTube used to make a hundred percent of the money, and then a couple of platforms popped up and were like, "We'll pay you a percentage of the revenue." And a bunch of creators were like, "We're gonna go do that." And YouTube was like, "We'll pay you a percentage of the revenue." Mm-hmm. And you know that was like a two thousand eight thing or two thousand seven maybe. Um, so that was a long time ago. But that you know that I think ultimately that was a very good thing for YouTube. But like no way YouTube gives away half of its revenue mm-hmm. because for like because they, what. 
for fun. Well, I guess I guess what I'm worried about is like saying, you know, oh, it's on the consumer, or it's on the creators yeah. or the people working within the company. Like, what is the incentive of those companies to listen? You know, and yeah. so I, that's I, well, why yeah. I think sometimes needing laws is the only way to affect change. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I I am operating with the assumption that um, in the future we will hopefully regulate these companies through antitrust mm -hmm. um, by saying that you know Facebook is clearly a monopoly, Amazon is clearly a monopoly, YouTube and Google should not mm -hmm. be the same company. That's insane. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, and and Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Amazon Web Services and Amazon should not be the same companies. Mm -hmm. And it's anti-competitive. It's bad for the world. Uh, break those things up. And if you know, if those platforms say, but we're going to be worse at all the things, then I don't know what to say to that. I I think that you have to weaken these giant monoliths. So that's like, for, for me, that's that's the place to start regulation at, mm -hmm. rather than having the government come in and try and say like, here's what's allowed, like what kind of speech is allowed on social media platforms. Like I just, I f feel like there should be a bunch of different social media platforms that allows different experience and people can choose the places because right now we don't have that many choices and the experience and, and like if i had like if there was like an actual feeling that i could have a social media experience on a place that uh had a better vibe for lack of a better term then i would probably do it before we um move on to the game show portion mm -hmm. could you just share what what you love the most about social media um I love a good joke. Uh, there's lots of great jokes on Twitter, <laughs> but more than that, I love uh, I love that it can connect people who wouldn't otherwise get connected. And you know those serendipitous moments where you find somebody who has a like a shared passion but an expertise that you don't have, and maybe you can have a long phone call or uh, even work together on a project. Uh, that's really that's really the the thing that I get out of it most and and have been finding that there's actually lots of ways to do that if you're more conscious about it. Yeah, and the money and fame. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Just kidding. Uh, Would you like to play a game show? I will play it with you. Okay. Doesn't seem like you're excited to play I didn't it. Say, I didn't say that I would like to, but I did say that I would. Okay. Well, <laughs> Allison, it. listen, you kind of know Allison's the games master, and then me and you are the contestants. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you're aware that Allison's mind is a, a, a weird and dangerous place. So. I like it in there. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it's very calm and normal. <laughs> well, we're about to find out. <laughs> so I'm going to give you these hypothetical situations. You can ask as many questions as you want, and then you'll tell me what you would do. Our first game is America's favorite game show, hands down. Would you stay with this cheater? <laughs> when you finally meet up with your internet girlfriend in person, after uh -huh. six months of dating, uh -huh. you find out they have been catfishing you the whole time lying about their profession, and using someone else's photos. Turns Ooh. out they are actually supermodel gorgeous and a millionaire. Would you stay with this cheater? For, like, temporarily, yeah. Wait, hold on. They pretended, so it's kind of like they pretended they <laughs> not to be a prince so they could, mm -hmm. like, it's a Roman holiday situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. Are they an actual supermodel? 
Um, no, they uh, they run. That's a... important to Gabby because <laughs> I like me. just anybody with that profession. I'm not dating. <laughs> no, quite she's like opposite. I would date yeah, them. Quite the yeah. opposite. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, no, they actually, um, they have invented uh, a lot of medical technology that has caused them to just be so rich. Oh, so they've been profiting off of the sickness of other people. Yeah, but you thought that they were just um, a PA, a physician's assistant, but in reality, they're a medical inventor and they're gorgeous. Well, maybe gorgeous they've been inventing medical- good things. You don't know. Well, that's the thing, though, Gabby. That's how it works. You invent things that save people's lives, and, and then, then you don't let them cap- have it until, right. until until they give you enough money that you think their life is worth saving. Correct. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right. Wow. <laughs> let's get into. So somehow this became about the privatization of healthcare. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> I I don't like liars. Mm-hmm. I would. Even really beautiful ones. Yeah. So here's the thing: I would consummate the relationship, and then I would, and then I would be like, I can't stay. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, how interesting. You'd be like, I'm gonna enjoy this hotness, but only for one night. Yeah. Take take that. Put it in the spank bank and be done. And then we gotta go. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I think that like I would have a date, and I'd see how I liked them. You know. Because it's like, like, are they the like, same personality as yeah, they, they were they, when we we've, fell we've had all these conversations yeah. and like, but like, I think in general, when you go from internet to IRL, there's going to be surprises. It's not usually going to be a, a sort of a medical inventor kind of surprise, but, uh, but you know, you, you're, you know that you're going to be getting to know this person to some extent. I think you see if it works. I'm not saying uh, like, yes or no, a hundred percent either way. But you have, that's the whole game. You have to. <laughs> Uh, I'm definitely going on the date. I'm definitely talking. I'm having I'm having a little, like long conversations and I'm trying to get deep. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna get married regardless of whether they catfished me. Okay, so Hank is staying and I'm going. Yeah. Okay. Well, it turns out that they are also the prince of a small country. I called it. And you have to commit to them in those first 24 hours because in order to become the head of the country, they have to get married right away due to a hundreds year old doctrine. Uh um, It's hundred, one hundred from from (laughs) 1920. I said hundreds. I said hundreds. (laughs) So so why did they pick me? Uh, Random algorithm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And do I get their money? Well, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, if you marry them, you have to, you know, it's like Geneva, Gen- whatever that. Genovia. <laughs> Genovia. You yeah. got to go move there. You have to be the head of the head of the country. Mm-hmm. But also they have horrible breath. I forgot to mention no! that. What? <laughs> Hank, it's never, it's so I like many it. twists and I guess, turns. No, I, okay. Um, it really, it really deeply depends on where I'm at in my own dating cycle. Oh, like I thought you were going to say what kind of horrible breath. No, <laughs> so I know I know horrible breath. Um, <laughs> oh my god! I yeah, I th- I think like if if it's been like a couple years since I've had like a good thing going, then I'd Why be not? all in. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. thirty. I'm thirty two. Let's get married. Yeah, but it's a it's a little bit difficult for me to remember what it was like to date. We get it's it exactly like this. This is exactly <laughs> what happens all the time. <laughs> oh, so good. Okay, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? 
You find out that your 12-year-old is being cyberbullied. So you take them out of school and move to a secluded island where they will be educated by the smartest tutors and live a life of luxury. Once they are 18, you will let them re-enter society smarter and stronger than ever. Are you a terrible parent? They have four dogs on the island and one very friendly rabbit. Wow. But no, but no chi- friends. No, no children. children. <laughs> no children. I feel like a lot of rich kids do grow up like that. I think no internet. I oh well, that doesn't bother me anywhere near as much as no children. I think you're a terrible parent. I think (gasps) you. I I think you need. I think kids need kids. But they have four dogs and a friendly rabbit. And a rabbit. Kids. They need peers. I. I, they don't learn how to be a person. Would There's you, a very important part of education that is not your tutors. It is your <laughs> peers. Would you homeschool that your kid? I would in certain circumstances, certainly. Yeah. Not that I've imagined a future in which uh, the public education system is overrun by values that do not agree with mine. Exactly. I say you're a good parent. You could tell the tutors to teach them uh, stuff about women, stuff about black people that's left out. That's not, yeah, you could, but like, I think you could do that work. They have an exceptional with vocabulary. With or without that. Uh, and I also think that like, you, like kids need to have it to experience other people in their lives that are not like them, you know? Hank makes a good point because this kid grows up to become that medical inventor who really doesn't <laughs> know how to date. <laughs> Has horrible social skills. Let me explain. Hank, I don't know if you've listened to the show, but there is a hypothetical cinematic universe wherein uh, people from past hypotheticals come back. They know each other. They're related to each other. I don't know why you have the first half of the podcast. This is clearly the the superior podcast. It just should all be hypotheticals. Okay, our final game. Is this person an alien or just rude? Your boss. <laughs> okay. Your boss claims to not understand technology and asks you to help them set up their online dating profile. They then make you select all of their matches and decide who they should go out with. Nope. They jokingly threaten that if you they go on one bad date, they will have to fire you nope. because you will have brought them great shame and they cannot live with shame. No. <laughs> Is this person an alien or just rude? Do, you make 200k a year. <laughs> do, <laughs> okay, that's that is really important. Do, what are the are there benefits? Oh yes, God. full benefits. Full benefits. They pay all all my premiums or just like 20 or just like 60% or something. Um they you have um a PPO that's excellent, very low deductible. Okay. <laughs> okay, hold on. That mm-hmm. is that does that fall under sexual harassment? Being There's told- no HR at this company. <laughs> oh, it's BuzzFeed. Um, <laughs> well, so, am I given? Am I given criteria? Like, is it like just pick the good ones, or are they like, here's what I like in a human woman? They look at you and they say, "You know what I need." No, and then they leave the room. No, I hate it. I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. Okay, I'm you know someone I- who has such loose boundaries, like I porous mm-hmm. le- boundaries. And I even know that this is not good. Wait, well, it's wait, not that it's not it, good. Wait, it's not not good. Are they an is alien it a human or, are they or an alien? alien? It's yeah. definitely yeah. not good. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. Are they hot? The boss. The boss. Yeah. Is the boss hot? They are hot, but they're also eight feet tall, which is a little <laughs> shocking. <laughs> you always, you always fucking make them tall. You always do this. 
because there's plenty of short people, but okay. they're, you know, okay. not like there, eight feet Do tall. they have any other sort of surprising physical characteristics? Are they green? Is their tongue purple? Is it a very long tongue? So whereas we have a nose, they do have a trunk. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still hot. I never said they were hot. Yes, Just you did. T- you said they're hot. Me asking, yeah, by the well, way, me asking. If you like trunks. <laughs> me asking if this person yeah. is hot I mean, have you have you met Have you met a tall boy, though, Gabby? Have you met a tall boy? I dated a guy who's 6'7". Yeah, see? But imagine eight flat yeah. with a trunk. Still hot. <laughs> Yeah, still hot. Okay, and are they, is this, are they hitting on, is this a way of them hitting on me? No, they need to meet their mate in 30 days. <laughs> and, well, to and become he- the president of a small country? Allison? <laughs> Allison! No, in, on their planet, there isn't countries. So they're an alien. <laughs> yep. God you got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Hank. Where can people find out more about what you're doing in your books? I have a website at hankgreen.com where you can find out about the books and also the other things that I'm doing, like podcasts and videos and TikToks. Mostly the TikToks, though. <laughs> Guys, TikTok is, is run, it's China gathering information on us. So and providing us with a really fun service. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about microaggressions. Just between us, it's time for topics. X X X X X X X X X baby. So this week, I picked uh, the topic of microaggressions because I think it's really important as we're all sort of examining our racial biases and mm-hmm. um, trying our best to become not racist, but to become anti-racist. Also, okay, and I think that there's a lot of of writing off of racism as just evil people mm-hmm. and not as something that ev- that people do during the day all day that everyone is with doing without thinking. I was just listening to like a, a seminar through my school about like everything that's going on and how how to deal with like the systematic racism with your clients and everything and the woman said something interesting where she was like, you know, the the human mind has a need to categorize because there is so much information. And those categories are what leads to these biases and these stereotypes mm-hmm. because it's almost just like uh, like organization, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, in your mind. And so you have all these internal biases that you might not even be aware that you have. And so mm-hmm. I think some positive action that we can all take is to do that internal work to look at what our internal biases are and then and then recognize them and, and stop vocalizing them. Yeah. Or like just if someone tells you like, hey, that hurt my feelings to not just like fully be like, oh, so you think I'm a racist? Like you think, you know what I mean? Like, f- like, listen, like shut the fuck up and listen. Like if someone's like, I didn't like that. It's not against you. I mean, it is, but it's like it's not about you. Well, one of the really interesting things about microaggression is that the intention is not to be hurtful. But at a certain point, your intention doesn't matter. No, but that's what I'm saying. So that's yeah. why I think it is so difficult to understand and to recognize when you're doing it yourself because like, you're like, well, my intention wasn't bad, mm-hmm. but you have to understand how that makes the other person feel. Mm-hmm. So um, 
a, a brief description of what it actually means is brief, commonplace, daily verbal, behavior, environmental indignities that communicate hostile, derogatory, negative, prejudicial slights slash insults. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like an example of that would be, oh, you're so lucky to be black, it's easier to get into college. Ah! Right. I think sometimes it's more subtle than that, but that's... That's yeah. woof. That's one. I'm and that people fucking say that. That's true. Or you don't look gay. Ah, oh! that's another big one. And I don't like that one because I do look gay, and I <laughs> want people to say that to me. How dare you? Um, even just like in a workplace, calling a woman sweetheart is a microaggression. I hate it. But if you ask that person who like hasn't taken the time to examine what microaggressions are and how they permeate mm-hmm. our society, they would be like, what do you mean? That's just a nice thing to say to someone. Ask yourself if you would say that to your male colleague. Would you leave your male colleague's office and be like, see you later, hun? No, unless you work at like Logo and you're everyone's gay and you just are <laughs> like, hey girl, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm gay. I'm allowed to do that. No, I'm not. Ah! Microaggression. Well, see, that's like part of what the is the importance of the self-examination because, yeah. it, you know, implicit biases are defined as thoughts about people you didn't know you had. Mm-hmm. So like that's why like I think to be part of this anti-racist movement is really sitting down with yourself mm-hmm. and recognizing these thoughts that you've been ingrained to have in society. And the fact yeah. that you have these thoughts doesn't inherently make you a bad person because as we've discussed it's just what happens living in this society and the way that our mm-hmm. brains work. It's then recognizing them and fighting against them. Yes, totally. And it's often outside the level of conscious awareness of the perpetrator. So that's what makes it so tricky. Yes. I mean, I think, I think you can read about it. I think you can listen to it. I think if you hear someone say, like, sometimes, like, there'll be Twitter threads about things, and I'll read it, and I'll be like, oh, I w- that wouldn't have ever even entered mm-hmm. my brain or like I'll read a book about something and I'll be like oh oh wow like I think it's like reading and educating yourself and like following people who are different than you and reading books by people who are different than totally. you and yeah, like, like watching YouTube videos by people who are different than you yeah a lot of times I'll see tweets where um like a a, a black woman will like respond to something in a negative way and at first I don't understand why mm-hmm. and then I have to like follow up and understand you know Mm -hmm. because I'm not coming from the same point of view as her the same history Mm -hmm, so like mm -hmm. for example like the Bill Gates wanting like to get the vaccine to to black Americans first yes at first I'm like oh well that seems great but then in reality no there's a Tuskegee project it's like a history of like medical trials on black Americans Mm -hmm. and and like how they're used as like the guinea pigs and it's actually like this systematic and historical problem. Yes. But like, I'm an idiot. I didn't know that at first. And so you have to like take that second step and like actually understand where they're coming from. Yes. Yes, totally. Because if you don't know, because also we're not like, white people are generally not taught that history, which is Mm -hmm. like also like this, you could go back into the fucking school system. But like, why, why aren't we taught that at all i mean i i'm jewish we spent so much time on the holocaust (laughs) almost no time on slavery almost no time and also the way that we like learned about slavery was like and then it was done which like no it wasn't i've been deep diving into private prisons and let me tell you slavery never ended so like it's just this this like huge gap in 
in knowledge of anything outside of yourself, which I think like white people primarily enjoy. I just think in terms of like what to do about like microaggressions in particular is obviously think before you speak, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, that's something that is helpful across the board. And then also if you're witnessing other people have using microaggressions, I think you can say, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. Yes. Or like, hey, that's why you shouldn't say that. Yeah. Or like, I don't know if it's appropriate to say that. Like, I think that we can kind of like start to cause change just within our our smaller groups of socialization and like with our families and our coworkers, you know, like don't just like let the microaggression go by. I think you need to call it out. Can I tell you some stuff that was pissing me off about being at the protests? Sure. So there's these signs that people are doing. Uh, t- two flavors. One is like... So it's a Black Lives Matter protest. And it'll mm-hmm. be like some white or non-black person holding a sign that's like, that's like, uh, it's something like I like black dick or something like that. Or like it's something like, like black, black women are hot or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no, like you're, you're like, you're like, there, you're not there. You're like, there, <laughs> but you're not there. You don't have the range. Um, and like, and so like they think that they're doing something, but it's like not, it's like not taking into account the like history of sexualization of, of black people. And then there's another layer to it where I see people holding signs that say, um, racism has small dick energy. And that I do not like because we're like, I understand that we're like saying like racism is bad, but it's transphobic Mm. and it's also body shaming. You need to like, just do like critical thinking or like consider like I'm sure that person is like, oh, I didn't realize that like saying small dick energy was like transphobic. Can you explain why it's transphobic? Oh, sure. Because um, it implies that like genitalia is is like the be all end all of of what's going on. And like specifically for for trans me- uh, men or trans masculine people, as I understand it from my partner, is that like once uh, if you're taking hormones, you may have a small penis or even not, ha- you know, not have a penis. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. And even the body shaming element of it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, what's it like? I was like, what's a What what has a small dick ever done to you? Like, I, <laughs> it's never mattered. And it's this weird thing that we like put on people. And like, it's just such a focus on genitalia. That's like so misguided. Um, it's also just not really inventive in terms of like what sex is. But like. I think like with with sometimes people really think that they're helping in terms of microaggressions and and they're really really not. And also, I think you should look at when people are angry. So like, okay, for example, I've noticed that like if I have a friend who is white and they have a grievance with someone, people are like, "Oh, this person is upset, like let me go look talk to them about it." Like the fr- I mean, you could read about like white fragility. Mm-hmm. But like, and then I have a, a black friend who very similar vibe and people are always like, she hates me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's this like extra, assigning extra anger and extra, extra anger, emotion, which is like historically done to black people, mm-hmm. extra aggression, extra anger. Um, and like, I, and like, so then this person is not given the opportunity to set boundaries or to like be mad about stuff because People like white people are like, why do you hate me? 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't just jump to, they like, and that's a microaggression. Right. Like, why do you hate me? Mm-hmm. To this person who like is literally just like airing a boundary or a grievance. I just think that the biggest thing that we can all agree to do is to just think things through a little bit more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just to like, okay, so this is my intention of what I'm saying, but how can it be misinterpreted? Yes, totally. You know, so even if what you meant was fine, how can someone misperceive it? And if yes. there is the possibility of misperception, don't say it. It took me a long time. It was my partner is trans, and it took me a long time to not say, even like, I love them, we're dating. Like, there's times where I'll, like, say something, and they'll be like, can you not? Like, they're a transmasculine person. They're non-binary. And sometimes I'll be like, I said something to them about, like, being a man. And they were like, well, I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're right. That was flippant. Like, I like there's certain things that come up that I shouldn't, like, and I'm getting it pointed out to me. And in the beginning, I was like, there were, like, two times where I, like, cried. And I was like, I hurt your feelings. And even that, and then I would, and then I was like, that is me as the cis person flipping this around to be like, now you're comforting me, mm-hmm. which is fucked up. Yeah. And so I really have had to learn Like, if you're a white person and you do a microaggression against a black person, you don't get to start crying. Right. And, like, I had to learn that in my own relationship as, like, a cis person with a trans partner. That, like, I don't get to, like, I hurt their feelings. I don't get to start crying. I think that you can go home and feel terrible and, like, process Mm -hmm. it and, like, deal with it with however emotions that you want. It's not their problem. But it's not their problem. Yeah. Um, That's a really really good point. And, you know, I just think that uh, there's a learning curve. I think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of great intentions out there and it's just awareness and taking a little extra time and taking that time to to understand where someone else is coming from and how their life experience is so different than yours. Yes, and that it's real. And that it's absolutely real. And even if you go, I don't think, I didn't think that was a big deal. Doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's not about you. Shut the fuck up. Like... Yeah, I mean, I, it's it came up very interestingly for me with the um, Alison Roman situation where she's a white chef and um, she was talking about other chefs that she or other other people in the space that she wasn't she didn't like. And or she, she was cri- saying that they were like monetizing and turning into yeah, a brand in out. a way that she wasn't. And so I'm sure off the top of her head, she was just like, two I can think of are like Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo. And both of them are big names that you would say. It just so happened that both of them are Asian. Mm-hmm. It, she did not realize, I think, consciously, that what she was, what she was doing was like um, talking shit about marginalized people in her field and like specifically Asian women in her field. I think like you really have to think about what like why is that bias there what and to her i'm sure she was like well i didn't mean to point out two asian people and it's like but you did so like why did you do that and like think about you know like try to try to examine what you're saying like before you give an interview about it exactly and that big part of the issue is that this stuff is so ingrained in us that it is on a subconscious level Mm-hmm. So that's why we have to do the work to like dig down deep and, and see what's there. And we might not like what we see. That's mm-hmm. another big part of it. But like discomfort is how we get change. Mm-hmm. Like we have to live in the discomfort. We have to acknowledge our own biases. We have mm-hmm. to we have to like 
it feels so yucky. It feels so much easier to be like, other people are bad, but I'm good and I get it. Exactly. That's, impo- that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> every, every person has to do that work, but I, it's work that can be done from home for free. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's no excuse not to do it. Absolutely. So hopefully this, this will inspire all of you to just sit in a dark room and really get intense with your feelings. <laughs> yeah, and don't expect marginalized people, especially black people right now, to educate you for free. I really, a lot of groups, because I feel like there's this expectation, especially on Twitter, of like, well, tell me why. Like, tell me why. And it's like, you fucking get a book and tell yourself why. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that there are people out there who are trying to educate, you know, so it depends. Yes, There's yes. a lot of people who are doing some great education out there, you know, sure. um, and they're and they're bringing to light a lot of this stuff that we don't know, like especially seeing a lot of stuff about how black how black women especially are treated in the medical community. Huge. Akilah you know? Hughes just did an amazing thread about exactly. that. Um, but yeah, a lot of stuff that white people don't know. You just don't know. And so, and I think it's so admirable that these people are sharing their personal stories and bringing this history to light. Um, even it though sucks. they're, even though they're, I'm sure, exhausted and don't want to have to do it. They should not be obligated to. And it sucks that minorities mm-hmm. have to bleed themselves dry in mm-hmm. order for white people to fucking listen. Yeah. Like, I was thinking about that a lot. There's like this stuff of like, of like, we say the names of dead black trans people, but why do we not? What, what are we doing while they're alive? Mm-hmm. And like that really like hit me where I was like, yes, exactly. Tamika, do you want to come on in and give give your point of view or not? You don't have to. <laughs> you can just you can just rate the show. Yeah, you could just rate it. And we'll be like, well, we will we will take whatever rating you give us. I like how you guys are like realizing exactly how you were posing that question as <laughs> How can we make the show better, Tamika? But also don't feel obligated. Oh my God. Just hang up on us. We're... Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go from this. Do you want me to just give a rating? Yeah. Let's what did you think about what we said? Are we dumb? Tell us. Are you dumb? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if Tamika is listening to us talk about any topic and it's just like these two morons. That's my greatest fear. <laughs> right? That it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Like we're just like here talking about diets and Tamika is like off camera just being like, why do I work for them? I hate them. <laughs> I have to like make myself not constantly ask for reassurance from Tamika. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's that good. Uh, no, I thought that conversation was interesting. I would only add things that people already know. It's that when having these critical discussions of checking your own biases or trying to become, I guess, a anti-racist, it's just to involve people that don't look like you in the conversation um, and to allow both yourselves to be vulnerable mm-hmm. when having these types of discussions. It's just, I think it's so critical and have like authentic conversations with people who don't have your same background, maybe make you a little uncomfortable in the beginning just because being open and honest about race um, is incredibly vulnerable. So people already know those things, but I just think it's really important to keep in mind. I don't know that they know those things. Yeah. No? I don't know. We're working with not a lot out there. So I think... Yeah, I don't know that they know those things. I feel like they... I feel like there's a lot of people who are um, 
in getting involved in in the movement without actually like having uh, black people in their lives mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, you know, it was this thing, uh, her story, which is a very good trans and queer web show that came out a, a while ago. There's a part in it where Jen Richards, who's a trans actress, says like they're part of trans people are part of the tapestry. They're all around you. Like they have you have to, they have to be in your lives. You have to like it's not just enough to be like I'm queer and not this is my community. Like weave them into the tapestry. And like I think that like it's a similar thing where you can like go out and be like defund the police but like what are you doing in your interpersonal life who are you hiring who are you like choosing to work with who are you like even non-capitalist who are you organizing with like la pride tried to do a black lives matter march and they didn't even include black lives matter and it's like who's in charge here like who's you know i don't know you know what i'm saying like you can't Mm -hmm. do the work without like enmeshing Well, I guess you can if you want to be sort of theoretically anti-racist. I'm from Missouri, so I know a lot of people growing up who were very much microaggressive, but not wanting to think of themselves as racist. Like they wanted to think everyone's equal, but you can't necessarily come to my house and, you know, date my son. We don't believe in interracial relationships. Um, So I know it's different for different people. They don't necessarily welcome people who don't have their background or think that they have the same values or anything like that. It's not necessarily right, but I do think there's that mindset out there where they don't want to seem like an asshole, but they want to retain some, I just need these types of people around me and this is what's going to make my my life comfortable, whatever it is. So um, I definitely have been exposed to that sort of mindset. So I can understand why some people might be marching for, you know, justice but then they have no black friends yeah it's it's like i mean i was watching um z-way who's this incredible comedian uh and she does a show called race baiting have you seen it she Mm -hmm. interviewed caroline calloway she interviewed allison roman she like has white people on or not even white she interviewed aparna nonchera but she has people on who are not black and she kind of is just like tries to like ask them really into like intense but very funny questions but like it really exposes a lot like she she had someone on and she was like who are five black friends of yours and the girl was saying and then she was like well I mean I guess like you're talking about like close friends who would like pick me up from the airport or whatever and she starts listing and then Z-Way was like so they're just objects to pick you up from the airport like she really like and and it's been so enlightening to watch her show and like like someone was like, why would these white people even go on? And I'm like, I think they're doing a like she's doing a service and they're doing a service where you're just like interrogating. I don't know. I found it very, very interesting to for people to just be like so honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so do we want to talk about things we learned in this episode? Sure. I did like your conversation with Hank where he was specifically talking about like there's other ways to contribute to society than being famous. Cause I think a lot of young people don't really get that message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard because there's so many benefits to being able to get an audience when you're young, like on TikTok or, or what have you. It's literally potentially financial security. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the, the number one thing that like high schoolers say they want to do is like become a YouTuber or an influencer. No. Um. <laughs> I would I would have said yes in the beginning, but I'm really on this train. They're they're collecting all our data. You can't text. You got to use signal. 
I think it can be really detrimental when you tie your value to how many people know who you are. Like there's so much more to being a person than that. Don't have any social media. Don't send anything important via text. They're monitoring all of it. This is a radical leftist conspiracy podcast now. Yeah, but you don't uh, follow any of those guidelines. Exactly. I don't because I, because I well, first of all, because I don't I, I don't care what they have on me, but other people should be careful. OK, I would rate the episode um, uh, seven out of six YouTube CIA agents. Terrifying. I would rate it a hundred out of a hundred honest conversations about race. Right? Sure. Hundred, hundred, yeah, hundred out of a hundred? Why yeah, not? That's, that's good. That's fantastic. I should have said intelligence agents, YouTube intelligence agents instead of CIA agents. So I got to go sit and think about that for a while. That implies that there's YouTube intelligence. Hey, Tamika, do you want to give a rating or fuck it? Uh,. I will say uh, seven out of seven people who don't use the phrase politically correct. Ooh. Gosh, I hate that phrase. Mamma mia. <laughs> Why do you hate it? It's usually said in some sort of way that means I don't care to address you the way that you would be comfortable being addressed. It's like, I don't need to be politically mm-hmm. correct. They, they just, it just seems like you don't care to give another person the courtesy of acknowledging them the way that they would like to be acknowledged. It's become like a negative. It's become like something that's like, ugh, politically correct. How about just nice? When yeah. did, why, you don't mean politically correct. You mean caring, empathetic, nice. <laughs> uh, if only people were nice. Thank you so much to Hank Green for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Gabby Dunn. And me, Allison Raskin. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. We did a little flip ski. Yeah, we, we're getting worse at reading the credits. <laughs> Stitcher. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.